Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A very warm welcome to London in winter and to the last motorsport podcast of 2009. In just two weeks from today, it will be Christmas Day. So let's get this out of the way and wish you all a very, very happy Christmas and we'll see you again in 2010. Thank you everybody for sending in so many questions and for your feedback on the website. It's all very much appreciated, I can assure you. We read every single comment and we take them all into account. That's your criticisms and your compliments. I'm joined round the table again today by our editor-in-chief, Nigel Roback, the magazine's editor, Damien Smith, and our award-winning reporter, Ed Foster. Let me come straight away uh, this month to criticisms, which I just mentioned. Last time we, were, uh, we all got together, John Watson was our guest, and if we have any Kimi Räikkönen fans still listening, well, I'll be amazed. Anyway, if you're out there... We thought that uh, we ought to have a bit of balance, as John himself would say, uh, in the uh, discussions we had about, uh, in particular, Kimi Räikkönen and various other characters, including, of course, his former teammate, the uh, multiple world champion, Nicky Lauda. Now, um, Nicky's a man of few words. We all know that. Uh, But we thought it would be... Fun to find out what Nicky thought of John's comments on the on the podcast, and and I think really we should begin with John's allegation that um, Nicky was prone to taking his qualifying tires. This is me. Well, this, this is you. This is me. Okay, because John was never around at the right time to take the tires. <laughs> me he was back in the hotel or was not around and didn't put in the right time. Not the did the wrong thing. John, John's uh, big thing, I think, is that, you know, to be a world champion even once, you, you've got to be ruthless. Do you, do you think this is ruthless? What, me or him? <laughs> well, cer- <laughs> certainly, not, certainly not him. I mean, I wouldn't want to call you ruthless. No, I was not, you, I was not ruthless. I was forceful, but I like my way, but I'm democratic too. <laughs> so the thing about it really, Nicky, I think, is that... Um, it seems unnecessarily controversial, really. Do you not feel? I mean, either you're going to do the job, get it done, and go away, or not. Exactly. Exactly. Turn up, drive the car, win the race, go home. <laughs> finally, what, what, finally, what might be your view on a slightly different subject? Of, you know, people are talking now, you know, typically in England, everyone's discussing should Button have won the world championship, should he not, did he deserve it? What, what's, your, what's your take on that? What Button? Yeah, one more races, 
Easy. No Sim. problem. Sim. Yeah, won the championship. But more races than Hamilton the year before? It's easy. He wins most races, does the best job, take the championship. Again, go home. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nicky. Well, I, ho I hope that has uh, I hope that has redressed the balance slightly. And um, of course, as we all know, it's always entertaining to hear from from the Austrian world champion, who let's give him a little plug is of course the commentator on every Grand Prix for German television. Anyway, over the next 45 minutes or so, we'll be talking about uh, that very man, Jensen Button, moving to McLaren. What might this mean for him and for Lewis Hamilton? Then, of course, there's the very exciting news of Mercedes coming into Grand Prix racing as Mercedes-Benz. The silver arrows are back. Then there's Renault. Are they going to withdraw? The team we hear is up for sale. So what will happen? And then, towards the end of our show today, our esteemed editor, Damien, will give us a rundown on what's in the next edition of Motorsport magazine, and he'll be telling us about a brand-new columnist who's joining us in 2010. So, Nigel, let's come to you first. Jensen Button goes to McLaren. Now, according to Ross Braun, he was offered more money by Braun than he's being paid by McLaren. They wanted to keep him, but he's gone. What's, what's your take on that? <clears throat> I think I'm probably as mystified as anybody. I mean, I've spoken to various people about this, and I haven't really got a satisfactory answer from anywhere. Um, and I'm not even sure what sort of answer I'm looking for because the uh, um, I was at McLaren's a couple of weeks ago and they said they were absolutely sure, for instance, that you know the, the offer they had made to him was financially was, was actually less than the one on the table from, from Ross. The, what makes it difficult to understand is that right after Jensen won the championship, um, and the stories first started circulating that, no, there wasn't yet a new deal with Braun. Um, and then we began to hear that, hmm, there's a bit of a sticking point. Things aren't working out very well. He's not happy with the offer he's got from Ross. Um, and Richard Goddard, his manager, was making it, uh, making it clear that, um, well, there's more money in the team now than there was. And essentially what he was saying was, and Jensen, he's won the world championship and he should have his fair share of it. Um, so it did appear at that time to be very much about money, um, that fundamentally Jensen and, and uh, Richard Goddard didn't feel that Ross's offer you know, was, was in line of what they might reasonably expect. Um, so then the next thing was that um, there was news of contact between Jensen and McLaren <clears throat> and I confess at the time, my, my first thought was, um, well, it doesn't do any harm, go and have a look. Um, Might and, get a bit more money out of Braun. Exactly, and puts pressure on, I mean, it's, it's the oldest trick in the book, it's, it's you know, it's happened forever. Um, and then, you know, in very short order, yeah. we, we, we hear that he has actually done a deal, and he's going to be with Hamilton and... Uh, Deal done. Dream team, apparently. Well, hmm. in many respects, it's a dream team. Certainly, Vodafone think it is. I mean, they're, they're you know, it's all they could absolutely all they could dream of. Two hmm. British world champions together. Um, the problem is, I mean, Jensen himself has said that uh, it wasn't money, and I'm getting actually less from McLaren than Braun were offering me, Mercedes. Um, you know, and I need a new challenge. Well. 
He sure has got one. He sure has. But the problem is, you know, it, I mean, that is the oldest cliche in the book, isn't it? Everybody is always, you know, it's always a new challenge, whether you're changing jobs, marriages. Spend more time with your family. Well, yeah, all that, you know, hmm. a new challenge. So uh, that's really all we have to go on. And as you point out, you know, he certainly has got a new challenge now. Um, but I'm not actually disbelieving Jensen. No. Because no. I can't otherwise see any reason why this has happened but do you, do you think he knows something that we don't and the fact how much Braun sacrificed laying off who they laid off and sort of bringing the team down to a much smaller yeah. number of people I mean do, do they think that the, well does he think that McLaren is, is really a much surer bet that is, is to be with a competitive team uh, it, but yeah possibly he does I mean we, we don't know the ins and outs because you know we haven't we, no information has come out about this I mean, was it, did he think that now the Mercedes had taken over Braun, perhaps it might not be quite as it used to be, even though Ross is continuing to run it, and, and, and Nick Fry, did he think that that might mean changes and maybe he wouldn't enjoy the changes? I, uh, the thing that surprises me is that he's left behind all that um, hmm. familiarity. Yeah. The relationships, you know, like uh, Andrew Shovelin, his race engineer and so on. Yeah. Um, and he's moving into an, uh, an arena, if you like, when, when Lewis has had all that going for him for a long, long time. Yeah. If we take it at face value that it is for a new challenge, um, you know, this could be a Grand Prix driver who actually does care about his legacy, maybe. That he, he still has, despite being a world champion, he still feels some insecurity about how he's viewed. That he really wants to prove to everyone and to himself that he can take on um, someone as good as Lewis in the same team in what's considered to be Lewis's team and show the world that he can he can beat him. If that is the case, I'm not sure it is, but if it is the case, then good on him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing is, if he goes to McLaren, well, when he goes to McLaren, if and when he beats Lewis, everyone is you know everyone knows that it's very much Lewis's team, and he's uh, sort of ingrained that he will be applauded just for that he doesn't have to beat him over a season I don't think even to match him I think he will get a, a fair amount of respect for that I think he does think? yeah I mean I think if he's stated his intention of taking up a new challenge he's got to go quicker than Lewis I think he has to beat him over a season I think he has to beat him over yeah. a season really yeah, well, yeah. yeah Jensen, Jensen will beat Lewis on certain days next year what, no you know, question. No, no question. question about that. Well, I mean, Alonso didn't beat Lewis over a season, but a lot of people could still consider him a better driver than Lewis. But equally, Lewis didn't meet Alonso over a season. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let, 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 okay, let, let's this this I, actually. I, I, all I would say at this point is that I think it's very easy to look upon Hamilton and Button uh, and say, well, you know, Lewis is blindingly quick. We all we all know that. I mean, Lewis is incredibly quick, incredibly yeah. brave. Yeah. Um, and full of drama and all the rest of it, but I think um, I was I was uh, writing my column for next for the next issue this weekend, and something I mentioned in there was just to look back thirty years to the Ferrari team, which where was there was Villeneuve and Schechter, and Gilles was the guy who provided all the drama mm. and the blazing speed yeah. and genius, yeah. and Jody won the championship. Yeah. Which is what Nicky Lauder referred to just a few minutes ago, really, which is, you know, getting your head down and doing... He's already flown off to Austria, hasn't he? He's already gone. Out of the building, gone. No, I'm still here. No, <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> I'm just leaving, but I can still talk. 
this is going to cost us money in a minute. <laughs> it, it, it moves us very neatly onto the whole Mercedes-Benz, which for me, well, well, no, hold on. The, the best story of this year for me is Kimi Raikkonen going to uh, be in a rally car, but we'll put that to one side for a moment. Mercedes-Benz coming back into Grand Prix racing, and boy, you know, my view for what it's worth is they will do it very well indeed, and it will give Ross Braun even greater resources than, than perhaps he even had at Ferrari, who knows. Um, and why Button should want to walk away from that, I cannot imagine. Um, Damien, exciting news, isn't it? Mercedes coming back, yes? Yes, it is, yeah. Um, obviously, we had a lot of bad news this year with uh, manufacturers pulling out. And for Mercedes to put even more resources in and um, go back in as a, a full-blown manufacturer for the first time since '55 is, is very significant, you know, and it's good news. Um, I think, you know, Ross's place in racing history is very secure, given what he's, you know, he's achieved at Ferrari now this year at Braun. Um, and anything he can do at Mercedes will only add to that, yeah. and he'll do a lot. You know, we know the team is, is sound. Um, you know, maybe Jensen did see something in the team's form, the way it fell away in the second half of the season, that he thought McLaren's form increased. You know, with, well, with, with, yeah, was yeah. a dog of a car at the start of the year. By the end of the year, amazing turnaround, as we read about in our last issue. Um, so you know, maybe he saw something in that, that McLaren long-term have more potential. But it's, it's, it's all speculation at the moment. But, I th- you know, Mercedes will be competitive, uh, Nico Rosberg's an interesting signing. I think I think he could be a he'll win races for them. I think whether he's a champion or not will we'll, we'll, we'll remains to be seen. He hasn't had a chance to prove himself. A little bit like Jensen, really, um, in a shorter time frame because he's only been around since uh, since '06 in Formula One. But I think Nico will he will surprise people. He will win races. He, he drove well this year, so he just needs the car now to step up to the next level. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, I don't think Rosberg I, I, will win races. You don't? No. Really? No. Why? Uh, Because I think that um, he hasn't shown, to me anyway, signs of real brilliance. Um, I thought the Williams was a good car this year. All right, it wasn't a great car, it wasn't the best car, but I thought it was a good car, and I I think he should have done better. I think he looked... Well, he scored 35 points, and that was the Williams' sum total. Yeah, Yeah, but being pitched against Nakajima, you're going to look better than perhaps you are. Yeah. But I think he's a very safe driver, whether he's a Heidfeld or not. I I hope not, but... No, no, I I think he's more than that. I definitely yeah. think he's more than that. I'd, I'd love, love Rosberg to do well, you know, because of the history and Keke, and and he's a, he's a great, great lad. I mean, you know, he talks well and he, he's exciting to watch. I hope, I hope he does do well. But, um, I was actually speaking to Keke last week, and uh, something he, somewhat irreverently said at one point when we were discussing the, the um, the Braun Mercedes situation and the implications for McLaren and Mercedes, and Keke just said. Uh, Anybody ask McLaren what they're going to do with the top two floors of the motorhome this year? (laughs) (laughs) Good old khaki, I say. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, But it's going to be, you know, they're going to be uh, painted up silver arrows. I think this is is quite an exciting prospect. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's, um, a nice touch to the past as well, obviously. So... Uh, and it's a nice tag, and it's the Silver Arrows tag. So uh, um, I think it's uh, it's interesting that <clears throat> you know having a German driver was important to them. Um, you know that that hasn't oh, yeah. been something. You know they haven't really as a, as a engine partner. I think nationality never really came into driver choice, did it? They so would love to have two German drivers. I, be- well, I they, believe. They, well, they would, and of course the one they would love most of all 
Mm. Is Michael Schumacher. Is Michael Schumacher. But it's not going to happen. I think it probably is not going to happen, but I, at the same time, I don't believe... I don't believe it's hot air. No. Because if it were going to be Heidfeld, why the hell haven't they announced him long ago? You know, why didn't they announce him with Nico? My, 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 my sources, which is a phrase I love. <laughs> yes. Uh, it sounds like new labour. Yeah. God forbid. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, my sources tell me that it will be the team's test driver from 2009 who will join Rosberg at uh, Mercedes-Benz. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I believe his name's Anthony Davidson. That wouldn't be a stupid signing. Well, you could be right. Anyway, Ed, Ed, we haven't heard much from uh, Ed today. Ed, um, do you think um, the famous Michael Schumacher will come back? Well, if if anyone his age was going to make a comeback, then then it'd probably be him. But I, I think he's he's too old. He's it's uh, really he is that. I mean, if you look at the people coming in, it's they are eighteen, seventeen years old. It's, you know, it's ridiculous how young people are when they come into the sport nowadays. And Schumacher is unbelievably fit for his age. He's he's achieved everything he needs to achieve. But the competitive spirit is obviously still there. We've seen it with the motorbikes, with his possible return when Felipe Massa had his accident last year. Sorry, this year. Um, so if anyone was going to do it, he probably would. But I, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see him coming in and beating all these young guns over a season. I, I know I, I know how good he is. I know how quick he is and, and what he can do. But. I, I just think his, his time has come and gone. I, I don't think he's too old. I, mean, I can't remember how old Nicky Lauda was when he came back from retirement to win a world championship, but he, he wasn't a young man. He was 34. <laughs> yeah, 34, yeah. Thanks, Nicky. I think probably, not, saying, probably saying too old, old was, was perhaps a bit much, but I just, I, yeah, I think his, he, I, yes, I think he would have come back after Massa's accident. Because it wouldn't have been for a full season. He wouldn't have had no. to... There's no way you know, in the world he'd have jumped into a Kurs Ferrari without testing it, in my view. Neck or no neck. Well, yeah, it's a... It's a, it's a good point. It's a, it's a good it? point. Yeah. It's a good point. On the other hand, he did, he did announce that he was doing it. Hmm. I think um, he thought better of it. I don't know. Well, maybe you might be, you might be right. You might be right. I, I mean, I, I actually was perfectly prepared to believe he would do that. I mean, Felipe is his great pal and he's been clearly bored out of his mind for a long time um, and the, the idea of coming back just for a little while you know I think was, was, was irresistible mm. yeah he could have gone and started an it's, airline or something yeah, to keep himself yeah, yeah. Yeah. but he didn't <laughs> so, but this, it's a different <laughs> yeah. thing to come back full time yeah. um, but uh, you know again who knows who knows what is going on in well, the background quite. can you imagine for instance what it would mean to if Mercedes could land Michael Schumacher and, and conceivably for the rest of his life with mm. Ross Braun with Ross Braun dream team I, I mean I don't, I, I don't think it would even be something to bother talking about if it were not Ross I agree no, I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean absolutely I mean if Michael has ever idolised anybody in his life sure. it's Ross Braun sure. Mm. sure and with good reason Yep. We shall see. We're, and we're, we're a bit more balanced redressing coming up now because we're going to talk about Kimi Raikkonen going rallying, which, as I say, I think is really very such exciting news. Um, and uh, we're all this week supporters, aren't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. We're all one. Support, we like Kimi, don't we? Um, yeah, particularly when he's driving properly. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, an exciting man to watch. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Very quick. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he's, he is. I mean, he's, he's a fantastic. When he's on form, he is fantastic. Fantastic to watch and everything else. Never, I have to say, fantastic to talk to. Ever, ever, ever. No. But, he, but, but on this day, a genius. 
car control. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you, uh, exactly. But why doesn't he use it every weekend, Rob? That's my point. I, I wouldn't uh, like. I mean, to say. The, you know, the Ferrari guy at Monza said to me, "There's half a dozen great drives in two years." Mm. You know, we, we we can't have a number one driver like that. No. Mm, Citroen have him now, so Citroen will have to cope with the uh, inconsistency. Well, it's, it's just the. I mean, for the World Rally Championship, which has not been going through a very Absolutely. good time, it's just such great news for them. You know, to have. A Formula One world champion who, you know, despite his patchy form, is still one of the top racing drivers in the world. Make the switch in this day and age to rallying mm. in, a, in a proper car is just fantastic. I mean, and, you know, the accidents are going to be something else for starters. But, you know, I think he'll, he'll, he'll get, the, get the hang of it. And, you know, given that, that rallying is, is dominated by so few drivers, he'll get some results. Um, maybe not straight away. Maybe it'll take some time. Um, and if it's an experiment, well, good on him for for doing it in such a high profile. But arena. yeah, that's, that's what I love about Kimi is that you know there's been talk of Loeb trying an F1 car and maybe racing it, and it's like maybe, maybe not, and mm. you never quite know. Kimi's like, oh, okay, let's go and do let's it. Let's do it. Done. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's him. That's you know that is absolutely him. He did very well in the that's rally fair. that he did in Finland. Um, he, a lot of people were very impressed by his driving on ice and snow. I think it'll be be extremely exciting, I must say, and um, we shall see what happens. But anyway, well, he's Finnish, you know, and they are they are born to this. Sure, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, Kimi has always been happy in a car that's sliding, moving around. As I say, you know, they they they're put on earth to do this. By the time they're twelve, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's what they're used to. Oh, I mean, I, I think in many ways he'll be much more in his element. Yeah, in the too. rally world yeah. and in, than in Formula yeah. 1 I agree completely yeah. and I can't um, wait to see those press conferences with Loeb and Raikkonen sitting sit beside each other they're going to be amazing oh absolutely yes, yes. really good will somebody speak please please, yes. please somebody speak yes, that, that. Um, I, I don't know if you heard that everybody but that was Nicky's helicopter just <laughs> <laughs> bye bye everybody <laughs> Well, we are, we, we, the Christmas spirit is with us. Um, right. Uh, Silverstone. Um, another British story, a bit like Button and Hamilton, but an important story because Silverstone is one of the very few good Formula One circuits that remain in the world today that's being used. And they've got the contract for the British Grand Prix for 17 years. This is, this, this is great news, Damien. Fantastic news. I mean, we all wanted it to happen. Um, I think all along we all doubted the Donington story, whether it was actually going to ever come to pass. I mean, Simon Gillette's still being very punchy now, saying that, um, you know, it was only the, the economic downturn and the uh, the banks that, that scuppered his plans and that it would have happened had it not been for that. And Silverstone had been lucky, is, um, is you know, he was quoted as saying, which is just, you know, anyway, whatever. He, the good news is it's it's back at the proper place. Um, you know, Silverstone deserve a Grand Prix. I think it, this, this, the club, the BRDC, you know, it's run properly these days. There's a proper financial team in place, uh, and it's taken it's taken time. But I'm sure that time was needed to make sure that the detail with with, with Bernie was correct. Um, and the plans for the future are interesting. The the, the new track plans. We we published a, a map in the last issue, um, which they're going to use for MotoGP next year when uh, when the mm. bikes come to Silverstone as well. Mm. Um, they could be used for Formula One eventually, probably from 2011. And it looks like an interesting layout. I mean, Silverstone, as we knew it, um, is almost gone now. You know, in terms of yes. the old the old circuit. Yeah. Uh, and it's a shame to an extent because obviously it was a great fast circuit in, in, in you know the old airfield circuit in its own way, very own own character. Um, that's changing, but 
you know, the world's changing and Silverstone has to change with it. But the good thing is, that, you know, when you speak to drivers about Silverstone and, I mean, and journalists as well, it's about cops, Beckett's, maggots, it's, it's that end of the circuit that hasn't been touched. I think that's that's pretty important. That's true, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's there's still plenty of quick corners there. And even with these changes that are coming up, there'll still be plenty to, to challenge mm. drivers. And in fact, I mean, people are lamenting that, the, you know, the bridge will be lost. Mm. But honestly, bridge, yeah. the, you know, is not what it's it flat. was. It's, yeah. it's easy flat. The approach isn't, isn't, you know, it used to be an absolutely flat-out approach. And yeah. then it really was. It was almost like erosion in the old days. Yeah. Well, once you got the Abbey um, chicane in there, it, it yeah. changed completely. Yeah, it so. did. It did. So I don't think that's in itself any great loss. Mm. I think, I mean, the interesting thing about this is that the... Uh, it's, it's almost like Jensen and McLaren, you know. So there mm-hmm. is an element of mystery. How the hell... You know, we've had years and years and years and years of Bernie banging on about, we, you know, we don't need a British Grand Prix, or we'll, I'll be gone, you know, we'll, we'll have a race in Patagonia or whatever. And then, suddenly, bang, it's all, it's all happened. Um, now, you know, there is a suggestion that Bernie has actually given way financially, mm-hmm. given ground, which may well be true, but, we, you know, I guarantee you we'll, we'll never know that, because... You know, mm-hmm. word would not a word Absolutely. want to get out. But I, I, I hear that he's been under severe pressure from CBC mm-hmm. to, for Christ's sake, don't lose the British Grand Prix. You know, even if we don't make yep. a fortune out of it, yep. which is, if true, is good to hear because CBC aren't normally terribly altruistic. Uh, but I think it's just common sense. Yes. It would be a farcical thing to lose yes. the British Grand Prix. Mm. Um, but the the interesting thing, thing too is that <clears throat> now the deal's been done for 17 years, um, clearly a huge amount of investment is going to come in from outside, which never was allowed at one time. Now the BRDC has sort of opened the doors to outside investors, and it looks as though with a long-term deal in place, then they are prepared to come in and you know put their money where their mouth is, which is which is all good too. Well, it's come a long way in a short time. You think you know when um, Jackie Stewart was president, you know he was trying to push um, the uh, was it St Modwin through to be you know third-party financial backers, and yep. he was frustrated by the the uh, the club members fighting him every you know every yep. inch of the way, and it, yep. it didn't happen. The club was almost torn apart at that time. Yeah, that absolutely. was only well, a few years ago, wasn't yeah. it? Three or four years ago. It's not long ago, no. and and an incredible change at the, um, up at the club. But you know, I think they're desperately trying to get away from the old blazer yes. kind of oh, attitude. I, mean, I, I went to I went to the meetings in those days, and there were some of them were pretty close to sort of you know mm. civil war. Yeah, um, it was a, it was a. Dare I say it? On occasions, there was a sort of almost a dad's army, mm. Um, mm. you know, feel about uh, what was what was going on. But it, in the end, I mean, if 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 we were going to keep a British Grand Prix, they couldn't realistically be anywhere else. No. Uh, I mean, I was never ever persuaded that Donington could no. have coped, no. uh, much as I liked it before it got vandalised and torn up. Mm. Um, yeah, I always thought Silverstone was the only logical. Place once they decided there were no, you know, they weren't going near Brands Hatch again, but on safety grounds, Formula One Brigade. So it had to be Silverstone. Um, I think it's. I'm just glad it survived. 
Ed. Yeah, no, I, I, as Nigel said um, just, just now, I think it's great that they've also got this really long deal that's you know, almost unheard of. They, they spend years getting these short, short-term deals. And if you're getting one of those, it's very hard to justify spending millions and millions of pounds on uh, track development and you know, new pits, new paddock and all this kind of stuff. Um, so hopefully with that time frame they're now working and they can you know, really pull out the stops safe in the knowledge that, that they've got it for that amount of time. Hmm. Good. Well, it's all good, positive stuff. Um, but I, I, I must say, uh, uh, Nigel's point about how did this occur suddenly is interesting. Um, let's let's look at some uh, some of your questions now. We've had, uh, as usual, a lot of questions in in this month, um, and we have one here from Mario Carnero Neto. I hope I hope I pronounced that right, Mario. Um, who wants to know whether uh, we think that Felipe Massa has a chance of real success next year. He, he makes the point that everybody goes on about Button, Alonso and Hamilton and, and what he says about Felipe Massa who, who we must remember has been extremely close to winning the World Championship. I'm glad he's coming back. He's coming back. <laughs> oh no. He's no, no. It's okay, I'm going. I'm going. Go- I thought he'd forgotten his, his cap then. No. Auf Wiedersehen, gentlemen. Auf Wiedersehen. Hey, thank you. Yeah, well, Damien, I mean, Massa. I think um, he's got every chance of being competitive again if he's recovered completely from his injuries. I mean, it, you know, we've seen it with Mika Hakkinen when he had his big accident at McLaren in, in, uh, in Adelaide. Mm. You know, he came back from a very, very serious accident where he could have died. Sure. And it was only Sid Watkins really, yeah. who saved his life at the side of the track. Um, he went on to win two world championships, so um, it really depends on the injury and if he if he's recovered. I think mentally, um, I think he'll be ready for it. I think he'll be prepared and and raring to go. Uh, I don't think there's much doubt about that, as far as we can see. Mm. Just his attitude, the way he's he's conducted himself since the accident, suggests that. But we'll see. I think he'll be in a competitive car next year. He's going to have a very hard time with a teammate like Alonso. Um, but Massa's come on a long way in the last few years and, and he you know I think has every chance to win races whether he's got a championship in him again I don't know but um, we'll see judging by his, his recent go-karting exploits he's certainly on the pace behind the wheel um, he's, he did very well yeah I, mean, I think there's no question in the right circumstances he has a championship in him I mean he, you know yeah. in 08 yeah. he won more races than the world yeah. champion yeah. and uh, you know and if and lost it by 100 and, metres. And if Glock's tyres had lasted a few more seconds, he, mm. he would have been world champion then. Yeah. And I think also, I think he put a marker down as well that day because uh, um, I, I, I don't ever remember seeing a, a Grand Prix driver in a situation like that in extremis. There he was in Brazil in front of his own people yeah, and he just dominated the race. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And he'd lost the world championship in the last few seconds. And I thought the way he behaved yeah. was um, yeah. very, very impressive. And I thought it said a great deal for him. Hmm. And I can think of an awful lot of people who wouldn't have behaved as well as that. So I think, yeah, he's, he has got a championship in him. And I think the other thing you've got to bear in mind is, you know, he, we, we've all been saying, you know, rah, 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 Kimi Raikkonen, wasn't he, he great and all the rest of it. Of course he is. When he's in the mood, he is fantastic. But Kimi Raikkonen is the highest-paid racing driver there has ever been. Massa has paid a fraction of what Kimi. Um, in 08, uh, Kimi won two races. Massa won six. So, the facts speak on that basis, I mean, I'm fascinated, actually, to see how Massa and Alonso works out. Because yeah. I do believe that Alonso is the best all-round racing driver on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, and I'm fascinated to see how Alonso, with his way of working, his way of driving and everything else, works for Ferrari. I suspect it will work tremendously well. He, I mean, they, A, he's a Latin, and they love that. They just love yeah. that. Well, Nigel, that's the only reason and, I... And he's a motivational force, that's the yeah, other thing. Yeah. That's the only reason I doubt Massa having a championship yeah. in Ferrari yeah. is because of Alonso. Yes, You know, yes. That, that guy beside him, I think it's going to be very hard for him yeah, to, I, I, to, to do it. But I, I think so. on talent alone, I think he's proved he's, he's got nothing to prove now. No, that's true. So. I agree. Our ne- our I'm sure he'll be exactly as he was. I have no doubts about that. Our next point comes from Edward, who uh, comes from San Diego. And he wants to know whether we think that Button and Hamilton will be given equal equipment at McLaren. I know we've already talked about Button and Hamilton, but I, but I, I think this is a particular point from Edward. Um, let's ask our own Ed. <laughs> well, they've made it very clear that they're going to give them the same equipment. Um, but whether they can actually physically do that, I mean, if they're bringing new technology onto a car I mean sometimes they can't get it ready for two cars can they I mean as we saw with Heike and Lewis Heike was very much driving a, a sort of B-spec car at some of the races because they just didn't have time to, to get all the, all the bits and pieces there so I'm sure they will but um, you know I, I, they, they have struggled in the past to do that If they have to push on big developments in the second half of the season and one of them is well ahead of the other in the championship then one of them will get priority which is yeah. fair enough. I think from the start of the season, though, there's no doubt that McLaren will give them equal treatment and they'll have the same opportunity to perform. That's what's, that's what's good about McLaren. That's what we, yeah. we, we, we like about McLaren. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm sure that's true. I mean, it, it certainly was the case in the season just past that there were times when, uh, you know, there, there, was, there was one lot of new bits and, of course, Lewis got them, quite rightly. Um, 
I mean, that was a situation. I mean, by then, you know, Hakey had become very, very much the number two. You know, there were no <laughs> doubts in anybody's mind. It's slightly more complicated now because these are two world champions. Mm. But um, mm. the other thing you've got to remember about, about 09 was that, you know, all season long, after an appalling start, McLaren were on fast forward. So it was always going to be the case once in a while. They'd be just, right, there's one other new bits, and obviously Lewis gets them. Yeah. Um, but I think in normal circumstances, I have no doubts, whatever, they will get exactly the same. Um, the next subject is, is, it comes from David Fisher, and David's asking all of us whether we think the kind of racing that we saw back in the 60s will ever come back. And I'm not, I'm not absolutely certain what David means by this, because after all, there was not, a, not all the racing in the 60s was, was, was fantastically exciting. I, 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 but I think I know what he's getting at, which was that it was, it was uh, at least you could overtake, and at least there was, you know, that kind of excitement. Um, I may as well throw my two pence in here, and I, I think not, because I think that life d- very rarely goes backwards. Um, Nigel, no, I, I, yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, if we if we go back to we go back forty years to the to, to back to Silverstone in '69, that extraordinary race between Stewart and Rind, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that actually would be quite hard for uh, relatively young watchers of Formula One to believe probably that you know that the, the, there was they were changing order every lap I mean it was an extraordinary race like a bike race yeah yeah I mean it's very rarely the case God we talk about the lack of overtaking in Formula One how rarely do you see a car that has been overtaken then repass hmm. really? that was what that was what they did for virtually the entire Grand Prix um, and of course in part that was because of the uh uh, unsophisticated aerodynamics yeah. of their cars, and also in part because of the layout of the circuit. That yeah. was the old circuit, yeah. the old Silverstone, with no chicanes, yeah. whatever, flat out woodcut, yeah. um, and it lent itself to um, to to racing. Um, and I think, I mean, if if people who look back on the sixties, and and you know even the seventies with sort of uh, fond memories and all the rest of it of course they do and I understand it you know as well as anybody mm. um, and but <clears throat> it is a fact that by no means were all the races great no. some of them were processional mm. a number of races Jimmy Clark sure. you know just disappeared yeah. uh, and Jackie then later did the same yeah. uh, but I think something that is sometimes overlooked is um, I mean I can remember for instance when I first, very early days when I first started doing this, I went to the Nürburgring in 73 and it was completely dominated by the Tyrrells, mm-hmm. Stuart and Savard. They finished first and second, you know, a few feet apart. Jackie Ix, interestingly enough, was third in that race on his, his one and only drive in a McLaren. Um, but it was it was not a close race in terms of you know no. Jackie and Francois were never going to be threatened, yeah. but still you could if you were at a place like that it, it, it's just different I'm trust yeah. me if it's a procession mm. well okay that's not great yeah. if it's a procession at the old Nurburgring yes yes quite that's not the same thing as a procession at <laughs> Abu, um, Dhabi. Abu Dhabi no so um, uh, atmosphere and 
and dare I say it, a, a, a strong element of risk, which yeah. was a part of it in those days. Sure. Uh, you were aware of what these guys were doing. And sliding and all Yes, yeah, all, all that. That was the thing. So you didn't necessarily need constant overtaking because you could, if you could... Uh, there's a very famous picture of Chris Amon in a Ferrari at Old Hall Corner in uh, Dalton Park in the Gold Cup in 68. Um, and he's in a full <coughs> opposite lock slide and the fr- inside wheel is perfect on the, on the white line. Uh, and it's just really just a great driver reveling in what he could yeah, do, absolutely. you know. And he did that lap after lap after lap. And that in that car at that track was the fastest way around. Yeah. So you could stand there all day yeah. and watch that. You know, and it didn't matter necessarily. He wasn't overtaking somebody every lap. Yeah, there's a little point in me adding to what Nigel said because I was born in 1974, so uh, <laughs> I, can, I can only take it from what I've read and seen on films. But um, well, one thing I'd say about modern Formula One, obviously, is the circuits. Um, you talk to a photographer, or you look at, you know, I look at a lot of F1 photographs of today, and the only way you can tell circuit from circuit is maybe the colour of the curbing or yeah. you know um, the, the barriers they use or yeah. something it's, it's these minute details they all, yeah. you know, the, the F1 photographers have to work so hard to get decent shots of Formula yeah. 1 cars these days and if they have to then spectators have to work harder to get good spots to watch sure. cars at their best and that has to play a big part in it and you know, that's why I think Formula 1 is so obsessed with you know, sort of gimmicky things like Abu Dhabi having hotels to run under and, and running at night is because the actual circuits themselves are not all that much to shout about. But you see, you'd trade a year of that oh, yeah. just to watch Jock and Rint or Ronnie oh. Peterson through the old woodcut. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> Teetering on the edge and just, <laughs> just holding it yeah. Yeah. and not quite spinning. Or well, Gerhard Berger throwing the Ferrari around Monte Carlo. Absolutely. I don't know. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Take yeah. your pick. Yeah. And for that yeah. mind, I wouldn't mind seeing Jensen Buttons with the old woodcut now. No, you know, no, seeing I, a modern form no, on, I, I, on these I, old circuits would be amazing. Absolutely. It? You know, it would, but it, but it would be... It would look like, still would look like scale extra. It would look on rails, yeah. That was the yeah. thing. And yeah. it, the, what, when you see somebody at 160 miles an hour with the, with the rear wheels trying to overtake the front mm. wheels, yeah. lap after lap, that's when you sort of think, Jesus yeah. wept. Mm. How do you do that? Keke. Yes, <laughs> Keke, exactly. Keke's pole in, in 1985. Mm. Um, uh, the world still remembers it. Ed Foster, th- this particular question from David Fisher begins thus. You guys have been around for about as long as me, which is obviously a long time. Well, which of us is he addressing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is he addressing well, me with I a think, all of uh, 26 Let's be years frank, or? Nigel, you and I have uh, been around, as it were. We have, we have. Um, <laughs> we are worn. But, <laughs> well, yes, I think, well, I am. Um, uh, Ed, I mean, okay. Clearly, you didn't see this kind of racing, but clearly you love racing. Do you, what's your take? I mean, we're not going back to the 60s, are we? We're not going back, we're not going back anywhere, are we? No, I mean, you know, as, as Nigel said, there were, you, know, you hear so much about people saying, oh, if it, only like it was and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, but, you know, there were, there were races won by minutes, you know, 10 minutes. There was a, someone sort of winning a race by. But um, I think a, a lot of the things that people miss, and I certainly miss, is you know hearing Nigel talk about the pits te- even ten years ago to compared to what it was now. I mean, going to the, the paddock and the pits now is so different. You can't talk to drivers. You can't go anywhere near the cars. You can't see anything. The spectators, you're 50 metres away from the track behind a, a metal railing. You know, so even if you take along your camera, all you're going to get is it's going to look as though you're watching the race from behind bars. Um, 
And I think that's, that's certainly something that you do miss in Formula 1 nowadays. And that's why other racing, like DTM, the touring cars, all that kind of stuff, it's not as high profile. But because it's not, you get to go and actually talk to the drivers. You know, you catch them going from their car back to yeah. their motorhome. Yeah. And most of them are actually really pretty willing to chat, unless they've just ditched it. And then they aren't usually so chatty. But, um, you know, they're, they're very nice and you, you can talk to them. Um, we've got to move on, I'm afraid, um, but mainly because my parking meter is going to run out in the in the in the. Ch- <laughs> so a consummate in, professional. In, in, <laughs> yes, yes. So Rob, didn't you bring your helicopter? Uh, not today. No, no. It was bad weather when I left. Um, wh- why was a point abolished for fastest lap? Jeff Lees wants to know. Um, not the Jeff Lees. I don't think it's Jeff Lees. No, it's, it's spelled differently. differently. Oh. It's not the Jeff Lees we, we know, the racing driver. It's mm. this is well. I don't think it is. Um, why did we abolish a point for fastest lap? It's quite a good question. I, I like I like a point for fastest lap. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was it was. Uh, Kimmy would have been world champion a couple of, a couple more times, probably. <laughs> well, he might have been. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yes. Depending on the day. <laughs> Depending on the yes, day. Yes, yes, quite, yes, quite possibly. Um, I don't know why they got rid of it. To be honest with you, I have no idea why they did. It was it was a nice idea. It it certainly. Um, At a period of time, it 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 ceased to to have any worth because, um, um, for instance, I can remember in the in the in the years when Ferrari were um, first with Michelin, Mm -hmm. um, and there were they were always going to get there were great problems in the early days on some circuits, Um, and quite often in a race. um, I mean, Gilles would sort of hair off into the lead at the mm. start because that was him. That was his way, you know. I mean, he, he, and he knew that his tyres wouldn't last, but he still had to do it for him. He still had to do it, you know, because that was his nature. Um, but I mean, but quite often he would he would um, he'd come in with the you know with the tyres in shreds and be back in I don't know eleventh or something. Yeah. So the day was gone. The day was ruined. There was nothing to be sure. to be won. But he would, just because of his character... Because he could. ...put on a, pe- a set of new tyres and go out and get fastest lap. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, to some degree, at that point, you know, fastest lap... Yeah. You could say, all right, well, at least he would have got a point out of the day. Well, yeah, exactly. So there is something to be said, something to be said mm. for it. Mm. Um, it would certainly add a, an extra element, wouldn't it? If he was a championship yeah. decider, and yeah. and it was you know there's only a point in it between yeah. the two. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think there's a. I, I've, I've always thought not so much in the last few years when we've had the part Fermi start the race with the fuel, start do last bit of qualifying with the fuel you're going to take into the race and all the rest of it. It wouldn't have worked in that era, but I think in you know at a time when qualifying is just simply car absolutely at its most raw yeah. for one lap yeah. which is what we should have now of course what, we you should. know it's what's coming back yeah. well we hope um in those circumstances you know i can see every point in a, a point for pole okay well let's not dwell on it but uh, thanks jeff i think uh, i think the answer the short answer is we don't know <laughs> um, <laughs> but thank, but thanks yeah, well for, really thank uh, and while we're on this let's, let's remember that until um i think 1960 the Indianapolis 500 was in the world championship hmm. Hmm. and to this day I don't know why it was ever in and I don't know why it was dropped at the end of 1960 <laughs> these are 
Mysteries unknown under the FIA. Well, anyway, look, you guys out there, don't ask us too many questions like this because it'd be a very short podcast. <laughs> um, here's a question we like from Mario Pizzi. Uh, Mario has just subscribed to Motorsport Magazine in Canada. Well, we like people like you very much, Mario, so thanks for doing that. Um, he wants to uh, talk a little bit about Elio De Angelis, which I know Nigel um, remember, who I know Nigel remembers fondly. Well, we all do, but um, uh, you know, not the greatest racing driver on the planet, but an absolutely lovely guy. Um, Damien. I got his autograph when I was a little kid, and he was a lovely man. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I always liked De Angelis because he, he had a certain, you know, flair about him in terms of how you know he looked like a Formula One driver in many ways. I thought and. Um, he seemed like a you know all the interviews I read many of them written by Nigel and you know the, the stories written uh, in those days uh, he was clearly well liked and um, of course he raced for Lotus which was as a as a, a young British schoolboy yeah. was was a great thing and um, yeah, it's well known he was a, a great pianist quite a cultured fellow um, I'll never forget the the Austrian race the Austrian Grand Prix in eighty two when he beat Keki to the line. Um, it was one of the one of the great finishes to mm. a Grand Prix, so that always sticks in my mind. I think of De Angelis, um, and uh, I think of that before I think of his tragic death. That's for sure. You know, that's 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 the enduring image of Elio De Angelis for me. Yeah, he was in fact that race that day in Austria. That of course, you know, that was the last time um, Colin Chapman ever celebrated a Grand Prix win mm. in '82. He, Elio, Elio was an, an absolutely delightful guy and he was um, in many ways from another time, another mm. era you know, his, his manners were lovely his, his, he was uh, he, he, he had a great sense of humour mm. um, <clears throat> and he was, I guess I, th- I always thought Elio's natural ability was very, very high mm. um, and I thought he he was he was almost a sort of classic definition of um, too nice a guy to be a Grand Prix driver. Mm. He, um, he, uh, and of course, as soon as he was in a team with uh, with Senna, it was <laughs> good night. Life was going to be very difficult for yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, in point of fact, I mean, he was very funny about Senna because, um, in many ways, he felt sorry for him. He genuinely did. They were they were they were teammates because of his obsessiveness. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he he felt he he used to say that he he sort of felt sorry for somebody who appeared to have nothing whatever else mm. in his life. And 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 Elliot was a very well-rounded guy. I mean, he was a yeah. normal in so many ways. I mean, you know, he was it, like Jackie X and hated hated to go testing. Mm. But it's boring. Jesus, why the hell do you want to test? Mm-hmm. There's no point in being a racing car unless you're trying to unless you're trying to win something. Yeah. So he, he was he was he, he would have had, he would have had problems. Actually, now I think about it, I mean the modern era would have suited Elio to a T. Yeah. A test. <laughs> no would have loved it. Which of course you know <laughs> makes his makes his his passing doubly tragic. Of course. Uh, you know, in a stupid test session at Paul Ricard. Yeah, and it was horrific, and his life no was, safety, and his life was tossed away. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I think I think Elio De Angelis, um, if I may say so, is a great example of the kind of things that Motorsport Magazine does so well, and and uh, what our readers love so much. You know, obviously, although uh, you know, he's a he's a sort of archetypal romantic, stylish Italian. Mm. Mm. 
hero, wasn't he? Really, you know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm Ed. I'm not passing you by. He used to. He used to. Well, the other thing I remember about Elliot was that he used to. He used to smoke deliberately in front of Chapman because just simply to annoy Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's good to end on a smile, I must say. Um, right, just uh, two quick ones, um, other and then we really have got to go for this month. But um, um, Alistair Warren, good old Alistair Warren, I think he's asked us a question on every podcast, so thanks, Alistair. He wants to know if Bernie Ecclestone is going to buy Donington at a knockdown, mud-splattered price. Well, I, <laughs> I think the answer is we don't know, but uh, Damien? No. Yeah, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, they, they're saying they've got a lot of interest in, in the circuit. I'd be surprised if Bernie bought it. I can't see what's in it for him, really, because it's, it's, at the moment it's a, it's a club circuit that needs, uh, needs a million pounds to get it up and running again for next season. So um, the person I'd like to see buy it is Jonathan Palmer, because I think Palmer's yeah. done such a great job with the, the four circuits he currently owns. Um, uh, I think he'd, he'd do a tremendous job you know, if, if, if Jonathan can see it working as part of his um, uh, part of his, his group of circuits. Then um, that would be fantastic for British motorsport. I think. Yeah, I'd second Damien on that. Um, I think he's he'd be the one person who could turn it around and make it into yeah. a profit-making circuit again. And what's so great is that <clears throat> you know going to brands and things like that. You go there for a track day or a race. Everything works. You know the food's actually very edible there's, you know you can see things you can get around easily and it's just you really notice it when you go to one of his circuits that just everything works it'd be great to see Donington get into that kind of that kind of place again I think almost more importantly actually as well if you know Donington is a great racetrack like Brands Hatch I mean you know the great thing about Palmer taking over Brands was that we've still got Brands in my view yeah, yeah I agree um, I agree and, and uh, um and if, and he, if he took over Donington, I'm sure he'd do the same job there. Mm. Pity of it is that it's, you know, at the moment it's just a wreck. It's, you know, 12 months ago it was not a wreck, and it had a MotoGP race. Now it has nothing. And, and, the, and the stupidity and the imbecility of the last 18 months actually on so many people's behalf just yeah. takes my breath away yeah, mm. me too and also the, just coming back to the question we mustn't end up like, like, like new labour who don't ever answer the question um, we, 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 don't, we don't really know whether Bernie will buy it or not Alistair but um, I'm sure if the price was right and the resale price was right he might consider it well, but, but then, we mean, then we might have two Grand Prix in Britain <laughs> well, he's just done a 17 year deal with Silverstone yeah. so he wouldn't buy it for no, fun I was thinking he no. might make a very nice residential uh, state uh, within easy reach of uh, the airport yeah. but anyway yeah. Yeah, um, true. True. anyway we mustn't joke about that really because it's sad Donington's, Donington's got a real history and anyway uh, finally we come to Nick Wilson um, who asks us about the 2010 regulations no refueling of course as we all know um, does he think this is going to put more emphasis on the skill of the driver? And uh, if I dare return to, to Nicky Lauda, he says that, of course, when Lauda drove for McLaren and won the title, the season was even more action-packed than ever it is these days. Um, not quite sure what the point is there, Nick, um, but whatever. Do we think the new regs will put more emphasis on the skill of the driver? Let's start with you, Ed, and we haven't got much longer left. Um, well, I think it will, yeah. Uh, you know, they're going to have to manage their tyres more carefully. They're going to be carrying a lot of fuel at the beginning of the race um, on cold tyres. And uh, if they're green or not concentrating, it's, the car's going to come back and bite them. 
Um, so, no, I think it will. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with, well, Lewis and Jensen. Sorry to go back to him again, but it's a very good example. I mean, Lewis is notoriously quite hard on his tyres, and Jensen can barely get heat into them. So, uh, to how that plays out over a race distance, I think, will be, will be great. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I hated refuelling, full stop, all the way through, I did, because I thought, but particularly at one time when we had everything, when we had all the gizmos, and we had traction control and everything else. Um, and that, to me, was the, the, the low point of mm. Formula One. Mm-hmm. It, it was really... Mm. Michael Schumacher won every fortnight. Mm. Uh, nobody ever spun. No. We would have wet qualifying sessions when yeah. nobody spun mm. because of traction control. Um, and the race was formulaic. It was, it, was, it was, depending on the number of stops you had, it was either... It was just all sprint, stop, sprint, stop, sprint, stop. There was no subtlety, no delicacy, no nothing. Um, and I think, you know, banning refueling should... It will certainly... Somebody was saying the other day, this, you know, where he's still racing, this was heaven sent for Alan Prost. Yeah. And I think that's true, and I think in the same basis, on the same basis, it could well be heaven sent for Jensen Button. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, Formula 1 used to be about engines, then it was about aerodynamics. I think these days it's largely, obviously um, aerodynamics come into it, but it's largely about tyres. And I think tyres will, you know, can play a big part in next year. Uh, I don't think there'll be more, much more overtaking, to be honest. Um, but um, I like the idea of drivers having to manage a race over a distance uh, on the same, on, on, on you know, one uh, fuel load they start with and, and, and see how it goes. But um, I'm not quite sure. I don't think I don't think the race is going to massively improve because of it. Sadly, no. I think that probably is right. I, but I, I do think I do think probably to a degree more subtlety is going more to race be called, is, yeah, yeah. Is going to be called for. Yeah. So that's a good point. Um, I mean, for me, I'm just delighted that we haven't got any more refueling. Um, partly because I, ha- I won't have to have a degree in economics or, or um, mathematics to work out who's going to win the race after the second pit stop or no. even the first pit stop. And also we can have straightforward qualifying back. Well, quite, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, it's going to be motor racing. And yes, there will be m- more emphasis on the skill of the driver. I- I'm quite sure of that because the cars are going to start very, very heavy. And, and uh, yeah. a lot of these young drivers have never done a Grand Prix like that. They've, they've, only, they've only ever done three sprints. Mm. Oh, absolutely. So... Um, well, we're near the end now, but um, we have to um, to ask Damien about the next edition, mainly because we'd like you to know what's in the next edition of Motorsport Magazine. Over to you, boss. Yeah, um, I think you'll like it. I hope you will. Um, the the, uh, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the the cover story is um, an Ayrton Senna story, um, a very familiar subject, but I think it's quite an interesting take on the man. Mike Dudson, who's been around um, about the same length of time as Nigel, I think, in the F1 He's paddock. been around even longer than I <laughs> And boy, that is a long time. That is a long time, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's a fairly eccentric writer, um, as, as, as they go, but um, he's, he's taken a very interesting take on it. And so he knew him very well, befriended him um, even before he got into Formula One, uh, um, and talks about this uh, the relationship he had with Ayrton during, particularly during his early years in Formula One, and uh, intriguingly how he offended Ayrton to the point they fell out and never spoke again after a certain time. It's a really interesting story with some very interesting photos of Ayrton 
in uh, in Sao Paulo, his home mm. in Isha, of all places, uh, uh, on a cricket ground, uh, playing with his model helicopter. Um, and it's a nice story. Uh, other things, there's a, uh, Andrew Frankel drives a Penske IndyCar, the last Penske IndyCar of the 1997 season. Some fabulous photographs from a photographer we've used recently who also took the shots of the Mercedes Group C car in the last issue. Um, what else is there? Uh, lunch with um, Desiree Wilson which is um, uh, a really interesting read. Um, uh, and also, of course, our new columnist, Bobby Rahal, who um, joins us of this issue for the next year, and uh, we welcome him. He's got lots of exciting plans, which he writes about in the issue regarding historic racing in the US. He's based very much his plans on the good revival as, as the, the pinnacle of historic racing, but he's got some interesting ideas, which you'll read about. Um, also, our young man here, Ed, in the office, has his uh, new column, On the Road, where he goes around the country and into Europe covering all sorts of different stories from car um, manufacturers to restorers to racing drivers to whatever comes under a racing headline. So um, that's all entertaining stuff and uh, uh, all the usual good stuff as well. There's a story about Tazio Nuvolari, isn't there, in the next edition? Yeah, some... some uh, I think, didn't, didn't... Who wrote it? Rob... It's been dropped, has it? Rob, somebody wrote it. Rob's, yeah. Rob, Rob, Rob Widows. Is that, yeah, is that the old form of three drivers, didn't yeah, it? Might, yes, it might be, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the old form of three drivers. And no, also, no, no. I should mention also the Hall of Fame coming up in February, which is a very exciting event at the Roundhouse in London. Uh, lots of... Uh, uh, Big people from the world of motorsport going to be attending. Uh, exciting plans. There's more about that in the issue. Um, so that's something we're all looking forward to. Um, I won't say too much now because we're trying to keep a little bit of the uh, suspense going in terms of what uh, what's to look forward to. Um, and the final thing I'd like to say is just a big thank you to Alan Hyde, the voice of Toka Radio, yeah, yeah. who uh, has been our uh, rec- <laughs> you know, recorded these podcasts and produced them for us this year. Great job, Alan. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're all very envious of Ed Foster, aren't we? Travelling around, e- travelling around Europe, picking up stories. I mean, how, I mean it's but you, you should see him. You should see him in the in the yellow Lotus Elise that we've. It's, we've, it's uh, like folding uh, origami, getting me into that thing. It's, <laughs> Tell you what, though, it's actually like, quite a struggle. You would be amazed. It's, Six foot seven, Ed Foster in a Lotus Elise. What's quite annoying is if you're going below twenty miles an hour, the roof sits in my head. And I have a sort of an edge-shaped bulge in it. But you get above that and it pops up with the wind and it's quite comfortable. <laughs> I, I don't feel sorry for you at all. No, I didn't think um, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, well, uh, on the road, man. Fantastic. Uh, that's it for this month, the last one of 2009. We will be back in January 2010, of course. And it only remains for me to thank you all out there for listening. And uh, more importantly, thank you for reading our magazine. Without you, we're nothing. Uh, do contact us to tell us uh, what you'd like to hear about any questions you may have we're trying very hard to get a guest for the next podcast um, and uh, we'll be doing a couple of special programs next year as well one of which will be uh, from Le Mans Uh, otherwise it's uh, goodbye from us that's uh, goodbye from Damien Smith Ed Foster, Nigel Roebuck and me Rob Widows and uh, see you next year As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 